Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host, Narad Muni, and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are going to continue the story of the Mahabharat. I'll summarize what we have covered so far. Emperor Shantanu of Hastinapur married the river goddess Ganga. It would have been a happy marriage, except Ganga kept drowning every one of their children. Shantanu really wanted to stop her, but he couldn't. Because, as a condition of accepting his proposal, Ganga had made him promise that he would never question her or stop her. After Ganga, the goddess, had drowned her first seven children in Ganga, the river, Shantanu finally decided that he had had enough. He intervened and stopped her from doing the same to their eighth baby. That broke their marriage. But the baby was saved. It still didn't help Shantanu much because Ganga took the baby away and departed from his life. Shantanu had waited for years, staring at the river, willing it to return his child. And finally, one day, Ganga brought his boy back to him. The boy, Devrat, was incredibly talented when it came to weapons. Ganga had him trained by the foremost experts of his time. She came, she saw Shantanu, and she handed over her child and disappeared right away. Shantanu designated Devrat as his heir, and the public loved it. More because his father had spent all his years in power staring at a river instead of working for the public good. But Devrat did prove to be a good prince. He was great with weapons and skilled in administrative duties. So he did earn their respect and admiration. After delegating most of his work to his son, Shantanu engaged in the activity he loved the most, and that was hunting. On one such hunt, he chased what he thought was a new type of designer perfume for deer. But it turned out to be a young woman by the banks of the Yamuna. Upon seeing her, Shantanu began thinking that This must be the beautiful lady by the riverbank that his father had urged him to marry. Even though he had felt exactly the same thing years ago 
about Ganga. We'll pick up the story at this point. Shantanu stepped forward, carefully, so as not to scare the lady sitting by the riverbank in her boat. A man crawling out of the bushes was not the kind of the first impression he wanted to make on this lady. He approached, planning his introduction. But when she saw him, she beat him to it. Hello, uncle. Do you want to cross the river? Shantanu winced at the word uncle. But oblivious to that, the girl continued. I'll take you across the river in my boat. My boat's called Basanti. I named her after a movie I saw. Have you seen it? It's the best boat ever. And I am the best boatswoman along the Yamuna. And best boats person. I'll make sure you get the best seat and the best view. You have the option of looking upstream or downstream. I'll narrate some of the sights and sounds on the way. And money back guarantee if you don't make it safely across. How? Shantanu began asking. How will you get back your money if you don't make it out safely? The girl had anticipated his question. That's why we ask for next-of-kin information, she said, handing him a thick sheaf of papers and a clipboard. Sign on all the dotted lines. Make sure you don't forget to enter an address with a PIN code. It's silly how often people forget that, you know? I mean, I don't mind not having to pay them back, but it's like their money, you know? They paid for it. It figures their family should get it back. Don't you agree? Before Shantanu could say that, yes, he did agree, the girl continued on. Anyway, here's your napkin, bottle of water, and a complimentary bag of peanuts. If you have a nut allergy or something, let me know. I'd be more than happy to dispose of those tasty peanuts for you. Just make sure you don't leave any garbage on the boat when we get there. Everything you brought with you on the boat, you have to take with you. Except for the fare for the crossing, of course. And recycling fee, insurance fee, state and local government tax, value-added tax, and boat owner's beneficiary surcharge. If I didn't do that, how would I stay in business, Mr. Mr. She prompted. Shantanu was struggling to keep up with the girl's comments. Finally, now that he was given a chance to speak, he hastily said, Emperor, it's Emperor. Mr. Emperor, said the girl. Strange name. But who am I to judge? I get unusual names all the time. Last week, I had a guy called Shankar Narayan. Like... Make up your mind, dude. Shankar or Narayan? Shiva or Vishnu? I laughed so hard, my coffee came out of my nose. When the girl saw that Shantanu was not laughing with her, she felt the need to explain. It's like, man, 
Shankar is Shiva's name and Narayan is Vishnu's. So if a guy is called Shankar Narayan, it's like he can't make up his mind about which one he's picking. Never mind. A joke when explained loses its value. So, Mr. Emperor, what's your profession? And would you like the smoking section of the boat or the non-smoking one? I also must ask you if you want the seat with the extra leg room. I'll throw that one in for you. No extra charge. Just don't tell anyone. The only thing I ask is that in the event of an emergency, you have to be prepared to assist me. Anyway, are you going to pay by card or cash or check? Shantanu saw his chance and asked, Would you like to get coffee? Are you a coffee salesman? I'm not buying anything unless you have a fair trade sticker to prove you didn't just fleece a bunch of innocent coffee farmers in Africa and South America. I always say, No, I'm not a coffee salesman, interjected Shantanu. I want to know if you want to have coffee with me. The girl didn't seem to mind the interruption. Oh, you're one of those TV show hosts. You'll pretend to pour coffee and I'll pretend to pour my heart out to you. I can't believe people even believe what happens on those shows. No, I'm not a talk show host. I'm also not offering to fetch you a coffee. I'm offering to take you to that cafe over there so you and I can sit at a table and drink coffee together. What time do you get off work? Eight o'clock by the sundial, she said. I know what you'll say. How can I tell it's 8 p.m. when that'll be after sunset? But Mr. Emperor, I meant eight o'clock in the morning, not evening. I'm doing the graveyard shift tonight. Shantanu waited patiently until the next morning. He did go to the cafe with the girl. In between a mountain of other things, he did also find out that her name was Satyavati. And he managed to squeeze in the fact that Emperor wasn't his name. It was his profession. The shock was so great that even Satyavati was silent for a whole minute. When Shantanu suggested that he was interested in being more than just her friend, she politely suggested that he talk to her father first, as was the custom back in the day. So Shantanu had his soldiers lay out the red carpet for him, right up to Satyavati's father's doorstep. Satyavati had given her dad, Koli, a bit of a heads up. So the emperor's presence at their little cottage was not much of a surprise. Shantanu was certainly not young anymore. In fact, he was a contemporary of Koli. So the two hit it off splendidly, especially as Koli was not as talkative as his daughter, so Shantaru could have an actual conversation. Koli was the chief of the fishermen and fisherwomen, 
and that meant he was also a bit of a politician maybe even more so than shantanu who had delegated off all such work to his son after tea and cookies shantanu casually brought up the fact that he wanted satyavati to be his queen he expected the poor koli to thank his lucky stars and fall at shantanu's feet and sniffle out of emotion if not that extreme at least he expected the poor fisherman's eyes to tear up and for him to express how lucky he was and what a splendid guy shantanu must be and all that sort of stuff what he did not expect was for koli to casually brush off a speck of dust off his coat sleeve wait a few seconds politely decline and then attempt to change the topic wait why asked the very surprised emperor i am the emperor and the most powerful man in history koli replied calmly i am a father if you had a daughter whom you had raised all your life you would understand but you don't give me your word right now that only a child of satyavati's will be emperor and i'll gladly bless this union all i want is your word shantanu's face dropped at that as tempted as he was to give in he resisted i cannot he said i have already declared devrath as my successor it's no longer in my power to make such a deal with you koli replied then i'm afraid i cannot permit this wedding this was pretty bad the societal scale was completely imbalanced here an emperor wishing to marry a poor boatswoman and being rejected by her father shantanu would never be able to live this down unless he actually accepted koli's condition but that was really not an option without getting devrath's consent that shantanu did not even think of asserting his royal authority and did not think of forcing satyavati to marry him is a testament to the balance of power between the emperor and his subjects in ancient india saddened shantanu left the cottage without even finishing his tea koli did a semi hure maybe he wouldn't be getting rich as the father of the queen of hastinapur but at least he got to say that he had stood up to the emperor Shantanu kept thinking of Satyavati all the way back to the palace and he went on thinking of her even after he got home losing seven children and then being separated from his wife and his only surviving child had already limited his ability to ever be happy but now he was deeply depressed Devrath noticed that 
when he realized that his father had been back at the palace for two whole days without making any plans for his next hunt. Devrat naturally asked his father why he seemed different. Did he by any chance meet a woman by the river bank whom he wanted to marry but couldn't because of a crazy prenuptial condition she had imposed? Lucky guess, thought Shantanu, and then swore to his son that it was nothing like that. And that was true, in a way. After all, it was her father who had imposed the condition, not the woman herself. He merely brushed off his son's concerns, saying that he was worried about how powerful and skilled Devrath was with weapons. He used the Avengers as an example to explain how all of Earth's problems in the Marvel Cinematic Universe only began after the emergence of superheroes. If Devrath continued to stick out because of all his weapons and powers, Sooner or later, he'd attract powerful enemies. Maybe even Thanos. The point is, Shantanu said, if you die childless and I have no other kids, who will rule Hastinapur? Couldn't we just let it run itself? Asked Devrath. Maybe we'll even let the people decide whom they want as their rulers. They could have an executive body, a legislature, and a judiciary, he said with a straight face. They stared at each other for a few seconds, and then they both burst out laughing. Shantanu had actually laughed. The joke had been totally worth it, thought Devrath. But soon after, Shantanu again sunk back in depression. Devrath realized that he was not getting a proper answer from his dad. So he sought out the ministers and quizzed them about what was going on here. The chief minister finally revealed everything about Satyavati, Koli and Koli's condition. Devrath understood. This went beyond just the matter of his father's marriage. Their reputation was now at stake. He gathered the ministers and dropped by Satyavati's cottage. He had a similar conversation with Kohli. I mean to say, he didn't ask for Satyavati's hand in marriage himself. He asked for her to marry his father. This time, when Kohli stated his condition, Devrath was prepared. Meh, no big deal, said Devrath. I give you my word, a child of Satyavati's will succeed Shantanu. I give up my claim. Now please ask her to pack her bags and come with me. I wish that were good enough, Devrath, said Kohli. But it's not. I don't doubt your sincerity or your word. But there has been a history of violence against babies in your family. All right then, said Devrath. 
I'll swear a second oath right now. I promise to protect whoever sits on the throne of Hastinapur. When you combine that with the previous oath, a keen observer may note that I've really sworn to protect Satyavati's child and whoever succeeds him and so on. Now get Satyavati to pack her bags and come with me, please. Not so fast, said Kohli, but we are making progress. I trust your word completely, but how can I trust that your children won't try to claim the throne for themselves? All right, said Devrath. I solemnly swear I will not marry, ever, and I will never have any children. Oh, said Kohli, shocked. Aren't you overreacting? I just wanted like a contract or a binding legal agreement drawn out or something. You don't have to punish yourself for this. But what was done was done. Devrath had sworn three oaths, all three terrible ones. From that day onwards, he was called Bhishma because of the terrible magnitude of his oaths. Spoiler alert, this was not going to end well for anyone. This was just the first of many power struggles in the Mahabharat, all for the throne of Hastinapur. Devrath returned with Satyavati, who was now his stepmother. Gee, you, the mighty great Devrath, are going to treat me like I'm your mum and to touch my feet and all that? OMG, I still can't believe it. Shantanu received them with joy. He should really have been deeply disturbed by Devrath's actions and maybe cautioned his son about the adverse effects of a lack of judgment. But he was actually pleased. Devrath, for your noble action, I'm going to give you a boon that you'll only die when you choose to. That was not necessarily the best boon of all, but sure, it meant that no one could kill him if he did not want them to. That meant he could be invincible in battle. Or maybe he would be like the Terminator. You know, blow up the robot, freeze it, burn it, crush it. It would always be back. That's all I have for this time. A couple of notes on the show. The Mahabharat does not actually name Satyavati's father. I've called him Koli because in one Indian language, it means fisherman. That was his profession anyway. It may seem remarkable that a poor fisherman was able to defy the wishes of the emperor. But that's actually a reflection of the balance of power between the emperor and his subjects. Sure, they could force people to let them have their way, but they might lose popularity. And Shantanu was certainly a popular emperor. Satyavati 
has also been called Gandhavati. In the next episode, we are switching things up a bit. We are doing a folktale again. This one's from the Indian state of Himachal Pradesh. It's about how one family solved the problem of having too many mouths to feed. There's the usual evil stepmother, starving children, and the obligatory abandoning in the forest. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories you'd like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site, sfipodcast.com, or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. Thanks to all of you listeners for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.